Hello, one and all, and welcome to the Super Show Podcast, episode number 195. Getting ever closer to the big 200. I am your host for this week, Jamie, and joining me, I'm very glad to be able to say, is a bona fide expert in one of the many topics that we have coming up on this week's episode. I thought if we're going to talk about one of the most iconic characters of 1980s American motion pictures, I thought I had to bring in a man who actually, if I had to guess, owns a whip himself, Mr. Alex Jones. That, amazingly, you're not wrong. I do indeed own a whip myself. I knew you would own a whip. Of um, course you own a whip. And I own a whip specifically because I was being Indiana Jones for uh, my 21st birthday, which was a fancy dress party. And I dressed up as uh, Indiana Jones. And then, I, and I was 21, thought I looked all right, thought I looked pretty good. And then my dad's mate turned up, who was like 35, and this posh pilot guy turned up and he looked 30 times better than i did as indiana jones and it uh, and started yeah. him i just got very drunk so it was all good maybe a lovely bit more on the whip ah, yeah. i did whip in the garden i was showing people i could actually do the whippage i could make it go Wah! well i mean you are the one person i know who like in, in my all my years of working with you would take up hobbies like archery for one you would come in one day of the week and you were either buying a motorcycle or you were getting into archery. So hearing you added a whip at one point to your arsenal is not surprising. I, I have some questions over the origin story of your whip. I wonder if I asked your wife where it came from, if she would offer the same uh, offer the same backstory. But that, you know what what happens in the Alex Jones' bedroom stays in Alex Jones' bedroom, right? Unless you want to, you got any grievances you want to air, you know. Would you be surprised to find out that I also have a nunchuck? Again, no, it's the least surprising thing. I reckon you have a nunchuck. I reckon, you know those weird ice axe things that you're climbing the ice wall with at the beginning of Modern Warfare 2? I think you own them for no reason. You're never going to go anywhere (laughs) near an ice wall, but I think you've got those somewhere. I I actually don't, but that is something that I, now you've said it, I feel it needs to be rectified. I feel like I need that uh, in my life. A couple of them, of course. You can't climb an ice wall with just one. Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember, Jonesy, that you were a guy in the old office we used to work in that set the Guinness World Record for the most number of pockets on a single pair of trousers. Like, they were cargo... I know there are cargo pants and cargo... <laughs> I know that's a category, but you took it to the end degree, and I and I always respected that. Thanks, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, well, I hope you out there listening to this uh, very podcast, or maybe even watching this very podcast, also have loads of pockets because you're going to need all the pockets you can get to fill with gaming goodness. That's exactly what we're here to deliver. And fortunately, the industry has been heating up in recent days, recent weeks, giving us plenty to talk about. So as we hinted at uh, earlier, we are going to be discussing the unveiling. Was that the word we settled on, Jonesy? Um, the unveiling of uh, of Machine Games' Indiana Jones project. I can't really remember now. We, we, chose, we chose a vi. It's just the English language. Who's paying much attention? Who's paying attention? Revealed. We went revealed. revealed. It, it was technically a reveal of, as I said, Machine Games, Indiana Jones, and The Great Circle. Um, obviously, we saw plenty of gameplay from that, so we're going to um, let you know our thoughts from a uh, the perspective of a fan of Machine Games and from the perspective of a fan of Indiana Jones, one that owns a whip, no less. But, of course, there was plenty of other stuff going on, not just in that developer direct courtesy of Xbox, where we also sourced some Avowed, some Hellblade 2, and some of a strategy game whose name I am doomed to forget every time I bring it up. It's got, it begins with an A, and that's because it's called RA History Untold. Um, 
But that's not all we're going to be talking about because, of course, the game that has swept social media in the aftermath of the Indiana Jones fallout is Pal World. Neither of us have played it. I, d I personally don't even want to play it. But if ever there was going to be a week for talking about Pal World and getting into the discourse around plagiarism and AI, Jonesy, it is now. Um, we have a couple of other little snippets that we'll save for the back end of the podcast. But that is the action-packed week we have in store. So thank you all so much for tuning in, whether you're watching us on YouTube, whether you're listening from a major podcasting platform like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. If you're doing one of those, you could be doing any of the other ones. Maybe next week's episode, maybe this one, you could break down and listen to the first half on a podcasting platform, watch the second half on YouTube. What you can't do, though, if you're not doing it already, is watching the, is watch this live, because it's being live-streamed out on YouTube. The handle is at SuperShowPod. If you type that in, you'll probably find it. Josie, are there some fine folks in the chat as we speak? There are indeed. I'd like to give a shout out to the people that have joined us live in the chat on YouTube. I'm talking to Magni, the Funky Penguin, Neil D and Classy Cat who are in the chat right now, uh, living it up a storm. So yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thank you all so much. Without further ado, Jonesy, I wonder if we do roll back the clocks a little bit to a live stream that just as a result of how much has happened in games in the past couple of days at least, or at least how much social media activity there has been in the games industry in the last couple of days. Feels like it happened weeks ago, but it did in fact only happen um, last week. And that is that Xbox Developer Direct. Um, and I know people want to hear our thoughts about Indiana Jones. We've got plenty to say about Indiana Jones. But I wonder, just to keep people in the know, Joseph, if we just roll through that Direct in chronological order, in the order that they went through things, studio to studio, and maybe share any thoughts or opinions as you've got on the various other projects that Xbox's first-party studios and one friend of the Xbox family had in store. How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Okay. Chronolog it's chronologically, it's what I like to hear. It's how I uh, it's stuff. Just, yeah, it's, it's sensible. Anyone out there who's slightly neurodivergent is so happy right now that we have built a structure around this discussion. A, stru a structure that takes us right, Jonesy, into the offices, of Obsidian Entertainment, who are, of course, as the rest of these studios are, with one exception, a part of the broader Xbox family now and are looking to follow up recent efforts such as, well, I guess they've been all over, all over the place, right? They've had Pentiment and they've had Grounded and all kinds of stuff like that. But this, a cut more from the um, Fallout New Vegas and Outer Worlds cloth, um, is Avowed, a game that we've known about for a little while. Of course, as we discussed last week, in fact, had that cinematic teaser, a teaser, excuse me, that had people licking their lips at the prospect of Obsidian getting to make, quote-unquote, their Skyrim with all the budgetary um, details that would entail. Uh, then we saw the gameplay, a sort of, I guess, a gameplay trailer for it last year that I think cooled people on it slightly as we got a little bit more of an um, insight into certainly the art style. And was now quite, I saw that... Was, sorry, go for it. it yeah. say, I think, like you say, people cooled on it. I think that was because... I, with that first trailer, like it wasn't exactly, I think, what what people were expecting. It wasn't a bad trailer. It wasn't that bad negative at all. I think it was much more realistic though. Whereas the first time around, I saw totally. the promise of avowed was like was pretty massive, and then the reality maybe hit for some people, and they were a little bit um, taken up, taken down a peg as to where they thought it was going to be. But still very good. Yeah, still still looked fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was kind of hoping that if that gameplay reveal trailer from last year did act as sort of like. A slight dip in the overall hype cycle for for avowed i was hoping that this presentation again you know 10 15 minutes 
interviews with various members of the dev team, a chance to look at multiple, the game from multiple angles, look at the combat, look at the quest design, look at the environments and some of the races and characters they're starting to flesh out. I'd hoped it would be sort of an upwards turn in that trajectory. And I'm not 100% sure it was for me. Like we got a like we got a solid amount of uh, of gameplay. There was a, a a decent focus on combat and the way in which way in which players can kind of mix and match spells through wands and 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 melee combat that looks kind of like they've taken that Elder Scrolls ish formula and tried to elevate it a little bit. Other various like forms of magic and even some medium to long range options in the form of you know even like pistols and sort of you know would look like almost like firearms and so on and so forth. There's a good variety there, Jonesy, but if we start on the combat, because that will be at least some chunk of the game, I wasn't 100% won over by what they showed, and I wasn't sure why either. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Like, I was I, I was kind of like, I was not that interested in Avowed at all. Then we had the gameplay trailer, and then I was even less interested in Avowed. And, yeah. But then watching this stuff, it felt much more tangible, and I thought I, I quite liked what they were doing. I thought it looked pretty pretty good it looked um, it looked better than i thought it was going to look is that a weird thing to say like because i think a lot of people was were thinking it was going to look great maybe it was just me that thought maybe it wasn't going to look quite as as um good as it did because uh, if i remember rightly that original gameplay trailer we had it looked ludicrous like it looked insanely good i think well, it was i think it was cg right so yeah it was just like so. you're, you were just filling in the blanks with your imagination obviously people were going crazy Yes, and then obviously the reality, like we said here, um, with the gameplay trailer. But no, I thought I think this looked good. I thought the combat looked solid. Like you said, it's it's very Skyrim, um, but yeah. you know, more modern, not ten, twelve, however old years old Skyrim is at this point. Um, but no, I, I must. I'm going to say at this point, it's pr it's not a get. It's probably not a game for me anyway. But I, I think it looked really interesting um, from where we're at. And yeah, an Obsidian like cuffs off go mental xbox money do what you want to do game still i think it's going to be that though no, no i don't think it's going to be cuffs off go mental no and like not but it's still look good still good looks like it's going to be yes i i think i i think it will still be better than i thought it looked and i have more faith in obsidian and their chops than i do in my ability to rate a game based off you know 10 minutes of curated gameplay you know that it's a very lopsided thing that and the fun the I agree with the adjectives you were using, that the, the, it is absolutely realistic and it is absolutely tangible, but that was almost the problem. Like, I was still hoping or holding on some hope for something a little bit more ambitious. Um, right. I don't think anything that they've chosen to do in any of the design, design decisions they've made, as it pertains to combat, for one, look wrong or poor, but some of the implementation felt a little bit strange across the board. Like, even to still things like, if anyone is curious enough, you can go back and watch it. But, like, pay close attention to the, the, the ragdoll effects and the way enemies kind of crumple directly downwards in a way that might not be totally unrealistic, but kind of sucked a lot of the energy, especially out of the melee combat for me. And same with, same with the, the wand combat. When, at one point when there are shots of, you know, a player character dual-wielding wands and it's kind of, it, it, it all just felt a little bit kind of light to me. And like when I played The Outer Worlds and we were getting what people celebrated at the time as a kind of a smaller, more finite Fallout-style experience that didn't get lost in Fallouts and often Bethesda's attempts to make something big and sprawling and never-ending, um, I still think Avowed could deliver a lot of that. Um, and it's not going to hinge on whether or not the, the gameplay or the combat specifically is the funnest it, it, you know, iteration of that style of first-person action RPG combat that we've ever played. But I still hope it's good. The other thing I wanted to pick your brain on, though, is we got to see 
some of the the ways they're exploring quest design and what they describe as quote moral nuance and gray areas which of course I, I, obsidian of all developers can absolutely pat themselves on the back a little bit for exploring gray areas in quest designs and and and, and moral nuance that's absolutely been a, a a feature of many of their more narrative heavy rpgs over the years but i did not think the quest that they showed in this gameplay snippet was an example of that at all it, for anyone that didn't watch it you essentially meet a character who um was a, a part of a group of soldiers who i think they were they, they basically set up camp and were attacked and they're all like they basically all scattered and dying and then you meet another character who was a part of that group um and you have to determine whether or not that they, they were a coward and they ran away and abandoned the, their group and it was basically just a, a quest that boiled down to hey get to the point where you've reached the final sort of like chink in the chain the final you know, point at which the quest can divert in one in one direction or another have a conversation figure out whether or not you thought this person was a coward if you if you accept that their explanation for things, then you get your XP and move on. If you disagree with their explanation for things, you fight them. And it's like that is how every single side quest in every single Bethesda like has ever ended ever. Like there's nothing new or interesting or morally grey about any of this. No, it's and it's the problem that they always have is that they try and say we're going to do nuance, we're going to do grey, but it, all it ends up being is um is like the opinions of the um uh the writers um and if you agree with the writers you get xp you do well and if you don't you fight like that's kind of how it's just to end up being like and if because it comes to that point where it's like are you going to make this decision or are you going to make the right decision and you're like well i it's obvious which one you want me to make um and or do i want to chop this person's head off and maybe get a few rubbish things that they drop that yeah i'm i'm don't know i maybe it's just too hard to actually come up with a proper way to do it so this is as good as it gets in gaming like it's, it's rather like the, I know that it gets so, you know some criticism um, and justifiably so, but I think Cyberpunk did um, moral gray gray areas and nuance very very well in a lot of its side quests, and partly a lot of it was because um, it wasn't really to do with you; it was more like characters having their own little um, side stories that you kind of can just jump can bump into. Whereas, yeah, no, this this at this point doesn't seem like that. It seems like chop the head off and get something or get some xp because you made the right choice right which unfortunately it, you know is a familiar quarrel to have to to have to settle in games of these nature um but again much like the combat i understand that that was a very slight and you know uh, edited for time encapsulation of a lot of the probably probably very broad ideas that obsidian are going for and so we would be able to see, see a lot more of that game's true ambition and size and scope uh, later on this year i believe that they're looking at a kind of a full or autumn launch window i can maybe see that settling in you know just before the christmas rush maybe maybe that becomes like a september game and of course because we are talking about um games that were featured on xbox's developer direct i think all but one of these I don't know about that that final one for reasons that will be clear when we get to it. But all but one of these will certainly um, be launching on Game Pass, obviously. And Avowed is one of those. So kind of nice, Josie, watching a stream like this, knowing that you don't have that many purchasing decisions to make on the other end of it, assuming you set, stay subscribed to Game Pass, right? Oh, it's, it's not even that. It's like you're going to... Because this was, you know, these games are all coming 2024. So you've got a hell of a 2024 with your Game Pass subscription. 
like this is it, and it gets to the point where you sort of question you know what i for me it would have been like would i pick up a vowed uh, do i want that at the moment am i you know because i'm not typically you know a fancy rpg kind of player but yeah no would i get this on game pass of course i would and once again i have to say we are not paid by xbox to say that but we often do say it's the best deal dealing gaming it's a very good deal so what can we say there you go you know when when xbox's family of studios are churning out like big triple a titles that look like things you would theoretically have paid 60 or 70 dollars pounds for on another platform and they become a part of a subscription that you were going to pay for anyway then yes the value for money does start to feel just very justified although the value for money uh, conversation gets a little bit more interesting when you start to talk about smaller scale smaller scale titles um and it turns out that the game that we saw next is in fact technically going to be one of those jonesy and that is uh senua's saga hellblade senua's saga hellblade 2 hellblade 2 is it not hellblade, hellblade 2 senua's saga i don't know i i'm uh, this you it's it's Senua it's senua's saga hellblade 2 Right. With it, and, and and I think officially, you heard it here first, folks, because I know this has been so controversial over the years. There is a colon, colon oh. confirmed. Run and go tell your wife, tell your kids. <laughs> Senua Saga colon Hellblade Two. Um, that's what was next, Jonesy, and it was um one of those things where I mean we first saw Hellblade Two at the Game Awards in 2019. So uh, this is something that we've been waiting for for a long time. We knew that when, because obviously we saw another trailer for it not that long ago, that uh, in fact at the Game Awards 2023, confirming that it would be coming out this year, we didn't know when. We now know, just to get the cat out of the bag earlier, um, before we kind of break down what we saw, um, that this is actually coming pretty darn soon. It's coming out on the 21st of May. So, you know, just four months or so to wait until we get to play uh, Hellblade 2. Um... Other than that, though, we saw a lot of the game. I don't know that I know that much more about the game as a result of what we saw or what we heard, but at the same time, I kind of don't need to. Um, we, you know, we, we saw plenty of gameplay, but a lot of the gameplay we saw, again, felt curated in way in the same ways that previous um, displays of Hellblade 2 gameplay have been, in that it all looks really sharp, it all looks really polished, but they're not, they, they've held short thus far of showing us, like, Hey, here's three minutes of unbroken combat, so you can tell if the combat combat functions in the exact same way as it did in the in its predecessor. Spoiler alert: I think it probably will. We learned a little bit more about the story and Senua being on the trail of some Vikings um, who have enslaved her, pe her people, and it's taking her over to Iceland. And we've learned that she's going to obviously meet a greater variety of um, not just you know villainous presences in this game, but also allies. We saw some of those allies and some of the dialogue that the characters will share. And that, of course, a lot of the um, uh, the psychological elements, for want of a better way of putting it, will be uh, very much present. Although I expect a lot of binaural audio, folks. Get your best headphones out and turn the lights off because uh, you're, you're going to be ASMR'd up to the balls with this one. Um, but I guess, Jonesy, a lot of the chatter for me, and I don't know if you got this feeling when you were watching it live or whether it all just kind of like came together when you found out when we found out a little bit more afterwards, but a lot of the chatter even during the presentation itself, was reminding people that this is actually going to be a slightly smaller scale. This isn't Ninja Theory going, oh, Senua's Sacrifice was a success. We're going to make a 25-hour Hellblade game that 
with set in a with you know so, you know mini open worlds and sort of sandbox area like no this is a sequel to hellblade that is going to be similar to hellblade a very similar length so maybe expect to something in the five six seven hour ballpark digital only release 50 dollar price um like i said a lot of the messaging felt like it was about hey don't think about this in terms of how many years it's been since you know it existed think about this as ninja theory are making a very another hellblade game in the same way as it's as the original yeah i think they they obviously wanted to get that across because they don't want because i think you're right often when you get a sequel to a successful like smaller game the um the idea is you then well then you make a much bigger one and then you really stretch yeah. it out and you give them people much more of that and you try and and you you know get it up to that full price uh, tag um, I think the difference with this is they've really lent into some of the mechanics and some of the way the first game worked and they've doubled down on all of those things to really get across like Senua, her, how, what it's like to be her and experience her world. And like you said, mm -hmm. you said, really, really interesting that they sort of um, spent a decent amount, you know, talking about and, and getting across the, the idea of like this, she has psychosis, she now accepts it, she's leaning into it. They've spoken to like professionals to work on like this is how it feels to actually have psychosis and this is how it and the way that they try and get you to feel that is by um, you know working as you said on like the binaural aspect of the game and not just using like the whispers like they did the first game but to actually do that with music and with sound and with everything and to um, and to really ramp up that side of the game. I for one am totally down with with that rather than going longer bigger drag out the first game to a more expansive world and call it a full price game to say hey we're doing digital only it's going to be a $50 price tag but we are going to like polish the hell out of the some of the mechanics that we we introduced the first time round I think I would really want to see what this game's going to end up looking like like I, I I can see why some people may say wow that's a lot for a short game like you know 50 bucks but when you think like games now yeah. are coming out with a hundred pound hundred dollar price tag or just below you know for a digital deluxe version suicide squad um looking at you and when you're talking about some other like other games that are coming out for 70 dollars that are probably not worth it if you can give me a six seven hour game maybe which really feels like they've put a hell of a lot of work into as long as i enjoy that journey i don't think i'm going to be i'm going to be too too angry about it no, I, I, I completely agree. I don't think I'm going to be too mad about it either, especially because, again, if Hellblade 2, you know, hits on a lot of the same themes and ideas as its predecessor did, and I have every reason to believe it will, you probably don't want to spend 12 to 15, even 12 to 15 hours uh, in that world or with those characters. Because I remember the first one feeling really quite difficult to play through at times, like really kind of it's oppressive. And, yeah, it, it's a lot. And, and sometimes you can make a really powerful, impactful game in five six seven we don't know exactly how long it's going to be they might just be you know they might be underselling over delivering for all we know we'll find out the specifics um in may i guess but even if this ends up being like a six hour thing if it's six hours of content that's like as jam-packed with quality as I, I thought parts of hellblade were but like you said with the additional polish that sort of needed to not just represent the fact that this is a sequel and it builds on that original game, but also that it's been in development for a long time and they're a part of the Xbox family now. And that's not me saying, hey, you got bored, so all of your games need to look and feel more expensive. I understand that's not how budgets work, but it would be nice. <laughs> and I definitely think it is going to look expensive. Um, oh, it's, it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah the visuals we've seen so far look really, really, really strong. I, I, I do, part of me wonders if I might be slightly disappointed. Like, I haven't played the first Hellblade for a long time. I played it at launch, um, so coming up on seven years ago. 
And I do remember that being like very linear in a way that sometimes you were just m basically moving forward through environments. There wasn't much exploration and that yep. move, that forward movement would be broken up by sequences of either combat or puzzle solving and then every now and then a boss fight. And there would be a part of me if, if, if like, if this game ended up being as narrow, for want of a better word, right. um, as 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 its predecessor was, that might disappoint me a little bit. And again, it's not that's not my way of suggesting that it needed to do what other games, even from the Xbox uh, first party studios, have done in the past, like Gears Five, like Halo Infinite, and say, oh well, now the logical next step is to create open zones or or get or, you know player freedom in that sense. I'm not asking for that, and I don't think Hellblade needs that. But I I would like to see them embrace just a little bit more flexibility and or a little bit more player agency and kind of how we explore and progress through environments um and and have the and have the gameplay feel like it's less metered out in a kind of like a walk forward combat walk forward puzzle walk forward combat and there were sequences that were very different in the original game that broke things up nicely like i remember some particularly quite scary sequences where like play like do you remember that one bit where you're in an environment that is almost entirely pitch black and you have to be careful yeah. to avoid walking into things that like make noise because there's some kind of blind monster in your vicinity. And I just remember it frightened the pants off me. Um, so I'm sure there are going to be sequences like that that break things up, which goes back to, do you remember some of the first gameplay reveals we saw? And they looked like, they were hard to get a grasp on because they looked like big cinematic set pieces that you actually didn't control that much. I actually wouldn't mind some of those bits being the things that are thrown in they kind of elevate this a little bit and take it to that and, sh and show where some of that money and some of that time went i guess um, i think but I, it's an essential yeah. i think i got the same thing as you like i i so i maybe don't think it's going to be uh i still think they're going to follow that like quite linear quite narrow path game as you've said um however i think the cinematic stuff the mocap stuff the you know the the extensive amount of like face capture and like really getting the actors to earn their money i think that they've done in this i think is really going to shine through but so i'm hoping that even though i don't think it's going to necessarily be much wider than the original was and with more for the player to do i think that there's just going to be more of from what from what i've seen anyway i'm just guessing there's going to be a lot more of those set pieces of those tense moments and i think you nailed it for me as you were saying and i, I thought was um if if they've made like a phenomenal uh, psychosis simulator, I don't think the I don't think subjecting people to like twenty hours of it is a great idea anyway. So I think like maybe that's one of the reasons why because they're like we if we can't sub subject gamers to this for too long because we may break some and so maybe oh, yeah. that's one of the reasons that they haven't chosen to do go that route. Yeah, a, a slight spoiler for a discussion we're going to have later on, but. I've been playing some of The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered, and I imported my save from the PS4 uh, when I launched the game. And uh, when you launch the save, it tells you kind of like at what point in the game it saved, how many treasures you found, or whatever the wording was, and how long you had spent playing the game. And I stopped playing that game the second I finished it, pretty much. But my time, in-game time, was like 21 and a half hours. And my first reaction was, was that game really that long? That I really spend 21 and a half hours like fucking stabbing people's you know th neck necks open and like fucking yes that was ripping out larynx it was long maybe. I remember getting through that felt maybe, like maybe, hey, maybe too long Jones is it does <laughs> yeah and I, do you know what I, I remember that I was I've 
it's probably my favorite game of of all time i'm gonna say however i do think they could have cut down on some of the filler like I, I think some of those set pieces are phenomenal but some of the stuff in between i'm like do i need to stab that many necks did i need to fight yeah. that many fireflies did, did i need to uh, edge around that many buildings and stuff and fall through that many floorboards maybe it could have been a few a few fewer <laughs> There, there is also something very uh, ironic and funny about you saying that The Last of Us 2 might have been a better product if it had been a bit more vigilant when it came to cutting out certain sequences right after they've released a remaster where one of the selling points of the remaster is the reintroduction of sequences right. that were cut during the game. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I see, I wouldn't, play, I wouldn't play the whole game again. I think I would just play those bits or more maybe the, a little bit around them. I, would be, I think I'd be choosy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't figured out what I'm doing yet. We, we'll chat about it in a second, though, because um, next up on the developer direct was a surprise entrance. We knew or suspected that there would be an, an unannounced fifth game that would enter the ring at some point. Uh, we didn't know if it would get shadow dropped, but we were hopeful that there would be some kind of a surprise. And there was, I guess, the degree to which it was a pleasant surprise is going to you know vary from person to person. But Square Enix were the uh, the the guest developer slash publisher that joined the developer direct. Um, and following its unveiling in December, we got to see a little bit more about Visions of Mana. And I guess it's worth uh, noting, just as a precursor to any conversation about what Jonesy and I might think about um, Visions of Mana and how excited we are for it, that the Visions series is obviously a very long-running and very well-liked series. But importantly, um, this is going to be the first uh, entry to ever launch on an Xbox platform, which at a time where where Phil and the entire Xbox family are trying to uh, improve their relationships, not just with Square Enix but lots of Japanese publishers, I guess that is, I guess it, like it's indicative of the continuing, continually improving relationship with you know the Western Xbox setup and the Western Xbox family and Eastern studios, even if you know, you know the Japanese audience and the Japanese population still don't have a huge interest in Xbox as a brand um what did you make uh, you know did you have anything to say i guess about visions of mana because it's one of those things that i look at and i'm like i'm happy for visions people i'm not one of them F full disclosure i i was running a little behind on the xbox developer oh, uh, direct and i i may have skipped <laughs> visions of mana I skipped through it uh, quite quickly because I was not overly. I it was. Do you know what? I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, cool! Another another mana game for people who like mana games." And then I was like, "Okay, skip." And I didn't actually. Uh, I didn't actually hang around to watch too much about it. So, um, apologies for fans of the series. Yeah, I mean, there was a guy uh, who, again, from what I could gather, um, was an old school kind of uh, mana. Uh, you know, an OG mana guy. I was more distracted by his jacket than, than the lower third that was on screen at the time, so I couldn't tell you exactly who he was or how important he was. But yeah, he looked... Was that, he, was he that was the back. one I sent you a picture of? Yeah. So yeah. I, I paid more attention to that dude as well than I did to what he was talking about. Because I was like, so, this dude looks like yeah. the Japanese Fonz. So I took a picture and sent it to you and, Jack, you and Chris. I, I, I don't know what he did on the previous Mana games, but... Um, but I think he was—he uh, must have been involved in the art to a large degree because a lot of what he was talking about was helping out with the conversion of lots of art, uh, art and sort of like monsters and characters and things like that that were originally drawn in maybe 2D or sprite format that are now becoming uh, 3D for the first time. And also he uh, had a big hand in the creation of what looks like it's going to be kind of like a 
a, a, a sort of a dog, like a dog bear horse hybrid thing that you're going to ride around at some point. I don't know. I haven't played any of the the Mana series at all. Um, me either. Like it's just it's just a bit of a blind spot for me. Um, but cool, you know. I'm uh, I'm happy for people who like that series, and I'm happy for people who've been waiting for it to come to Xbox. Right? Absolutely, me too. Okay, let's move on then, Jonesy, to a game which I know you've also got so much to say about. Uh, and that's because next up we visited Oxide Games. Uh, for anyone that didn't know, this was a studio that was formed back in 2013 by uh, former Firaxis team members. So there's some XCOM legacy in there. Um, and they uh, were here to talk about Aura History Untold, which um, I think we first heard about maybe a couple of years ago at this point. Uh, at least approaching on a couple of years ago, we now know a little bit more about what is kind of a historical grand strategy game, but one that lets you kind of um, warp or manipulate history or create your own sort of alternate history a little bit that is going to take kind of influences and elements from real world history, in particular historical figures like Joan of Arc and, and Genghis Khan. But um, but while you're creating your own, your own alternate history and doing some civilization-esque uh, bullshit, uh, I, I don't know if Gandhi's in the game, but for example, he would be nuking the shit out of your alternate history if he were. Yeah, the, the, I, do you know what? This looked like a lot of fun. It looked like a great concept. Um, again, it's like a, a, a genre that I wish I was more into because I think it, it's some. I know, and I know a lot of people that are like who love like Civ games and stuff. And but no, I, I think the concept that you can sort of bend history and do things differently is is a is a great concept. They've done a really nice job of it. Um, they're the team behind Civ Five, right? Was that or some of them? Was it? Was yeah, no. For for Axis, for Axis are Civ and XCOM mostly at, the, right. at this stage. So like, um, the I guess this is going to there. this is going to be more of the four X uh, civilization side of um, for Axis. I'm sure in terms of what they worked on in the past. Um, not least of all because if they if they were founded in 2013, that I want to say they would have barely even had time to work on the XCOM series by the time that was rebooted because um, Enemy Unknown came out in 2012. So yeah, we're really we're talking about civ devs, I think. Yeah, yeah. So obviously their pedigree is, is there, and they know exactly what they're doing. So hey, maybe the, maybe this is the time when I actually get into uh, that kind of strategy game and really delve into the history. But you never know. Yeah. Did you ever play Humankind? When that because that was another one that was again another studio kind of breaking off and making their own forex strategy game. I don't um, think I did. That was the one. It was published by Sega, but it came to Game Pass, and I gave it a go, and it, I, it, it, I didn't dislike it at all. I just like like I have with most saves that I start with Civilization nowadays. I just struggle to stick with it, kind of for the duration. But it, but it's interesting to see some some other games trying to kind of explore that territory. And no, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't play Humankind. I was just oh, checking go. out. I couldn't remember. I was looking to see if I recognized it, but I'm not. I sometimes like dip my toe into those kind of games to try and um, and try and feel something like I really want to get into this. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I used to love um, the, I used to love games like, um, oh God, what was it even called? Like Red Alert, like Command and Conquer. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, and I used to enjoy um, like some city builders. But as soon as you get to like the politics and the uh, are you going to go to war? Are you going to make an alliance? I'm like, do you know what? I think I'm I think I'm out. It's too much um, like the uh, model UN for me. So I get I get that. I think I kind of I, I find myself wanting the best of both worlds. Where I think I want some parts of it to move 
very quickly and other parts of it to move more slowly and some parts of it be more deep. It's like, I, I, as a football fan, I, I enjoy both football manager games and FIFA games, but I sometimes want different things from each one of them, especially if in FIFA you were to look at something like the career mode, which I guess is more comparable with football manager's main driving force. And sometimes I'm like, actually the dream game would be something that kind of streamlined some of football managers more aggressively football-y bullshit and replaced it with some of FIFA's more simulation-y stuff. Um, but that that middle ground doesn't really exist. Um, but it is still interesting to see in this particular, you know, in the strategy space, this kind of um, angling still taking place, especially with Civ 6 now being, again, Civ 6 is going to turn seven, uh, no, eight years old this year. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be a Civilization 7 at some point, but until we see that, you know, games like... Um, are a history untold and humankind can can battle it out in much the same ways i guess um city skylines was able to kind of come along and become the de facto city builder because ea completely screwed the pooch with sim city and made that bizarre always online absolutely horribly mm -hmm. misjudged sim city game way back when that you know they just fucked it and i'm not saying that you know that, that anyone that 2k or or whoever of Firaxis are going to fuck it with Civ 7, but, you know, stranger things have happened, eh, Jonesy? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't remember the name of it, but I actually just found the the uh, a 4X game that I used to love playing, um, and and so it, it's been a while, uh, which was Master, okay. Masters of Orion, which came out in 1993, so... Um, it's it's been a it's been a while, but that was a fantastic 4X game, so maybe this maybe this will be my next one. Ara. Aya? What's it called? Ara. Ara. Oh, Ara history, Ara. Ara history untold. History wow, untold. Master of Orion came out the year I was born. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. So, uh, the, I didn't. I don't uh, think I played it the year it came out. I would have. I would have played it a couple of years after. I, d I wasn't. I don't think I was playing it that early. But hey, that was good. That was fun. So you never know. Yeah. Well, apparently, according to Wikipedia, George R. R. Martin used to play it a lot, Jonesy. So you have great company. Uh -huh. Um. Do you know what? I don't know much about George R. R. Martin, but if I had to guess, you know what else I think that man probably uh, likes to a certain degree? What's that? Indiana Jones, uh, in the legendary film franchise that, of course, never uh, without beating it. Really? Mm -hmm. I, you want, I, know, I know you said you owned a whip earlier. I think for that reason and more, I could see you liking it. You should give it a go. I should, definitely. Yeah. I know you should, you know, just carve out a bit of time this weekend and just watch the Indiana Jones films for the first time in your life, Jonesy. Why not? Oh, I will do. Sounds sounds like a fun time. Yes. Um, but yes, yeah, speaking of fun times, as we've been uh, looking forward to now for years on this podcast and beyond, uh, Machine Games have, of course, been working on an Indiana Jones project for a little while. We didn't know much about it. Uh, we were forewarned that this would be something of a an unveiling, a re-revealing, a revealing of the title. And we actually got a good amount of it, not just, uh, you know, the full title, which is Indiana Jones and the Great Circle, as we mentioned earlier. Some idea on the timeline, the fact that it's set between Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Last Crusade. Confirmation that it is hoping to release in this year, 2024. Um but more important than any of that, Jonesy, we got solid looks at good chunks of gameplay and what, you know, the, the, uh, the gameplay pillars that Machine Games are hoping to build this title around. And the first thing that probably took us both by surprise was the confirmation that... We got to put our hands up. We got it wrong. We got it wrong. Let's put our hands up. Admit we got it wrong. We got it wrong. 
Indiana Jones and the Great Circle is a predominantly first-person game. Your thoughts on that talking point alone, please, sir. So we we said last week, like, there's no way they're going to make this first-person. Even though it's machine <laughs> games, even though that's what they do, uh, we were like, there's no way. And I think you made the, the spot-on observation that as if you would get your hands on a property as hot as Indiana Jones... Um, that needs this kind of reboot, right? Needs some um, a Harrison Ford sounding Indiana Jones to sort of take that younger character and run with it, especially the state of the films that uh, the state with given the state of the films. Um, and so obviously it's going to be third person because we want to see indie being indie. Um, but so what they've kind of seemed to have done it is first person when you're playing as him. But then when you uh, do when you sort of scaling buildings with your whip or um, some other set pieces, it's going to pull back and it's going to be third person so you can actually you know, see what's going on and I suppose get some of that cinematic film, Indiana Jones film that's into it. Um, I my, my reaction to the first person is I don't like it. Uh, okay. it but, but then, to be fair, as we watched the game and we watched the footage, I, I, think, I think my brain was in the wrong place. Like, first of all, I'm thinking it's Nathan Drake, it's Uncharted in first person. I don't think that sounds great. Um, but then as it sort of went on, I think that the, maybe there was less of a focus on, um, like toe to toe combat in this game. And it is more of a, no, you can be more stealthy. You can avoid, and they, they out, yep. out and out said it, there, there's a whole sections where you can choose to be sneaky and not, and not get involved. And actually, you know, that's what Indiana Jones does. He doesn't go in guns blazing in most situations. He is clever. He is sneaky. He tries to like get in by... Um, you know, dressing as a Nazi officer and, and hiding or dressing as a, um, a high, uh, what do they call them? Not hot air balloon, like a Hindenburg pilot or waiter or whatever in a famous scene to sneak to sneak about. He's not there to pull out a machine gun and just like fight everybody. So actually the, yep. the first person may work really well. So I'm, I'm actually going to reserve judgment on that aspect. However, before I let you go off, I will say the animations of the whip in first person look nasty from what we saw here i disagree the the actual going out was fine it was like when it hit was fine but then it does this it comes back and it's i just i was like i don't know what's happening it's like it does a little jiggle wiggle thing before it goes out and before it comes i don't know what that was i mean was weird. it looked like it looked like they were trying to create a number of different sort of and as dynamic as possible interactions between the whip and not just objects and environmental elements but also enemies so like it looked like you could whip someone at their ankles and kind of trip them up, but then also, yeah. you know, whipping them in other parts of the body in such a way that might damage them or, or knock them out in some way. But while also having it be something that you can use to interact with the environment to make noise to distract people, while also having it be a traversal tool, it's clear that they wanted the whip to be such a fundamental component of how you interact with that world. That's great. That, I love that. Yeah, but it's the actual I I animation think, I of the whip. I don't think. I don't think it. I think you're being a a, a bit harsh. Okay, as a, as a professional whippist, oh uh, well, that's true. That I, did, true. I didn't like. I don't know. It just looked odd. I'll watch it again. Maybe it was maybe it was my my watching of it was not quite right. But it just looked. Odd. I don't know. It looked odd. It looked like it happened too quickly. Like and may, again, I wasn't playing it, so I I not clicking the button. But it felt like it, it looks like it would feel like that when you're in the game, you tap you tap a button and you, the whip immediately extends like a freaking tongue of a xenomorph in alien a lot not the song the little mouth no, like, yeah. shoots out directly in front of you i'm like how he how did he get his whip out unravel it 
whip the dude and then put get the whip back and like i don't know man i'm i remain unconvinced okay fair enough i mean you would know better than i when it comes to the <laughs> the physics of whipping people um i'll leave it at that uh but I, I, I was more positive on not just the whipping, but maybe the overall presentation than you perhaps were, albeit not having as much Indiana Jones skin in the game as you do. Um, I, I was a little bit kind of caught off guard when the presentation first started. I think I remember describing it to, to Chris and yourself as kind of flipping back and forth between going, oh, this isn't what, wasn't what I expected. But when I kind of look into myself and ask myself what I was expecting, I didn't actually have a good answer. Right. Like I was like, actually, the more I think about it, the more they're doing what absolutely makes sense for this franchise and this character. And as you pointed out, like, as spite of uh, Machine Games' long storied history of Nazi slaughtering, Indiana Jones isn't going to walk into a room, at least not that often, with a machine gun and just go mental. He might do every now and then, and maybe we will in the game every now and then. But the fact that it has a slightly more, um, the slightly more cautious uh, approach is, is taken. And stealth seems to be a factor. Um, obviously, hand-to-hand -hand combat and melee combat is a big factor. Using the whip, as we discussed, a lot of first-person puzzle-solving sequences. I think this is going to be a really puzzle-heavy experience, which is going to be interesting to see uh, whether that works from kind of like a pacing perspective, but also just fundamentally whether or not the puzzles are interesting to do and interesting to solve. Very difficult tightrope to walk. Um, but, the, but yeah, it was just... It wasn't what I was expecting. There was a part of me that thought... That even though it was machine games, and even though that in all likelihood they could have done been done something, I still had this image in my head of this might just be an Uncharted or a Tomb Raider style third person action adventure game yeah. with very expensive looking cinematic set pieces interspersed throughout. And I'm glad it's not that. The more the more I think about it, the more glad I am. Uh, the more glad I am that it's not that. And you know, it's funny. We mentioned something last week, I think kind of off the cut, like just randomly, like a throwaway comment that I've been thinking about a lot in the past um, in the past week since we saw the the gameplay reveal, which is that, do you know what else was a first person action game based on a, a franchise with a very familiar looking protagonist um, that was a that was that despite being third person often went into third person for cutscenes and traversal, like climbing and crawling through things and doing this, that, and the other? No. Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay. And you know who developed that? Ah, okay. Star Starbreeze. And you know where those employees went on to? Machine well, games? Exactly. There is, there, is Butcher, there is Butcher Bay... There are Butcher Bay employees working on this Indiana Jones game. And Butcher Bay was one of the best examples of all time of, like, like sensibly and, like, what's a better word than loyally? Like, accurately um, adapting a franchise that could have gone balls out and just been a shooter, but wasn't, and had stealth components and had melee and had to hand combat components and had long combatless narrative sequences and had, like, a weird split between first and third person sequences depending yep. on what you're doing. Like, a lot of what they're doing in this game was weirdly present in Butcher Bay, and that was a uh, that was an iconic title. So just a bit of food for thought, I guess. What well, absolutely loved Butcher Bay, I thought it was phenomenal, and it was yeah. it was like you said, it was a it was a very it was a very refreshing surprise from what I thought you were going to get from a uh, Richard B. Riddick game, thinking that they would just go ham on. Hey. No, no, you're just going to fight everyone, and suddenly it was like, no, 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 that's not what Riddick would do. Riddick would 
pick his way through the shadows and then he would occasionally interact with someone and actually that game out and out didn't want you to in fight people one-on-one -on -one. and would like you said had stealth sections where that would just be like failed state if you did that um yeah so yeah. no yeah you're absolutely right and i i will say by the end of this um uh trailer and by the end of their little bit where they were talking about the way that the game's going to function I I came away thinking, despite like my one criticism, I would say was how the the whip stuff seemed weird to me. But again, that could just be like a, a, a wrong reading of what they're trying to put across. By the end, I was like, this is the most Indiana Jones thing I have seen since the Last Crusade, and I was really happy about like the music, the voice acting, the style, like the, their presentation for like the maps and traveling, the fact that the first person puzzling sounds fantastic. Like I'm so there for that. Um, and then he uh, first look at melee combat where you're, he's doing because the Indiana Jones punch is is iconic and the sound yeah. that he the the over the top sound effect like the cracking of the when he they had all of it and I was kind of like oh okay I think I did what you said it was like what did I think they were going to do and I saw that and I was like this is looks like a game based on Indiana Jones from people that know what they that know Indiana Jones. And who've included stuff that people really like, like a, you know, and the the um, the antagonist looks fantastic, and some of the little bits they've got where Indy's like buried in his neck in the sand and stuff like this, just look fan just look on point and look like yeah, I I to me in some respects some of it looked like they've gone to, and I think they say that you're going to be in you're going to go to Egypt you're going to go to the jungle you're going to go, and I was kind of like have they just watched in all the like first three Indiana Jones films and just taken the coolest locations and said, this is what you're going to, well, this is where you're going to be. I mean, like, that's such a good, that's what you should do. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if that was what they were chiefly inspired by. I mean, I saw a lot of sentiment on Twitter out there on Twitter and you would know better than I that, um, that, you know, that machine games look to have understood the Indiana Jones assignment better than some of the recent filmmakers who have had their hands on the project have absolutely done. absolutely you know, i i would be surprised so there's a fella who pops up in mul uh, multiple indiana jones movies as different characters he is the um he's a br he's basically would be a brute i think he was a stuntman on the films and so he is in uh last crusade he has a fight with indy under the wing of a plane so he's like a nazi yeah. soldier and they have they have fist hand hand to hand fights right fist fights and indy and he's beating the crap out of indy and then indy manages to beat him up well survive long enough that he then the guy gets blended by the prop of a of a plane and just gets like jellified he's then again he's also in temple of doom i believe as a soldier who's like the, another brute who's get who is beating up Indy until he gets pulled into a rock crushing machine I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same okay. actor and I'm really hoping if they've felt that enough that that guy's model will be in the game like his face will be in the game as like another character and that to me will be a tell as to whether or not you've got some died in the wall true like Indiana Jones super fans making this game which would just be a nice little touch so yeah yeah I think I might have found him um if I'm not mistaken, there's a guy here who he was uh, called credited as Giant Sherpa in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then went on to be Chief Guard in uh, Temple of uh, Temple uh, Temple of Doom and just just Gestapo in The Last Crusade. Um, 
Okay, yeah, no, may well be. I don't, I don't know who he plays, but that and like he's, little... he's the any about besides Harrison Ford, he's the only actor to appear in all of the first three Indiana Jones films, right? And so I would love that if they mod get that guy's like face model yeah. and put he is dead. No, he is. Yeah, yeah, he is. But yeah, they can take they can surely take that from the movie. Just just dig him up, <laughs> get him scanning him. Wow, yeah, yeah. There is a picture of his grave on Wikipedia, so we know where he's buried, folks. Get your spades, get your shovels. <laughs> but you know that. So I'm. I'm, it's really, a, I'm it's really a, it's a, you know, it was esophageal cancer. So hopefully they haven't given him any, given him any lines. I'm guessing not. But yeah, yeah no, I, I'm, I'm. I think it's also. I, I'm. I was. Who was? Who does the voice acting for Indy? in this so it was as speculated i believe it has now been confirmed that it is our old pal troy baker the uh, ever flexible that is mental or never not working troy baker but to, but to be that fair man he is, sounds is, so good he does sound great but and i'm not patting myself on the back patting myself on the back too much but you can back me up i texted you and chris while it was live saying is that troy baker and i um, said and no <laughs> i was like no way it sounds too good i was like it's um not that troy baker always sounds good but i i thought it sounded too much like harrison ford i thought there'd there'd been shenanigans uh with some sort of like sound alike or ai i was gonna i was thinking that there's there has to be shenanigans behind this but apparently it's troy baker doing a phenomenal impression yeah um baker himself i don't think has actually said anything but Jörg Gustafsson, um, who is the co-founder of Machine Games and was the game director on this one, he was the guy who kind of introduced and introed and outroed Machine Games in this bit. Has they've confirmed it as uh, Troy Baker, and they said he really brings forward that charm and sense of humor in such a good way. He's also a very very big Indiana Jones fan, which is super cool. So he's also very invested in the game. Nice. Um, yeah. So um, also confirmed, you do see him uh in you see a shot of him in in the kind of presentation i don't know what we're calling it um but tony todd um who was of course made famous by Candyman, but recently voiced venom um in spider-man 2 oh. is is the giant uh locus who we see as in like kind of like a hooded kind of cloak at one point in the in the showcase and it kind of runs up to him and he turn, turns around and stands over him ominously ominously um one of the other uh, antagonists alongside, as Jonesy mentioned, uh, Emmerich Voss, mm. the most like fucking like Nazi evil sounding guy on the planet. Um, See, so overall, a pretty well-rounded and encouraging showcase for again, a game which pleasant surprise is hopefully coming out before the end of the year. And I know it's always dodgy for when a studio tell promises you midway through January, our game is coming out this year. Believe us, but. This looked further along than I thought it might have been. Like you could have told me this was three years away, and I'd have been like, oh, "Okay, that's Obama, but I believe you." Um, this didn't look like this looked like a game that you know could be twelve months away for all we know, ten months away, right? Oh uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think it, from they showed like a decent. I mean, obviously, the idea of showing the vertical slice is a big thing these days, but this didn't look like that to me. This looked like they had you know plenty of stuff to pick and choose from, and a lot of and and. Yeah, I I can absolutely believe this that it's ten months away. Yeah, for sure. Um, one to look out for uh, again on Game Pass, um, and not on PlayStation platforms when that hopefully drops at the end of the year. I know uh, there are going to be a lot of people. I think. Well, I d actually don't know if this is the case, 
Uh, maybe I'm not going to say a lot, but there will certainly be some people who will get to the end of the year and will start to see, in an even bigger way the, the, than we saw with Starfield, will start to say to themselves, do I need to have a serious conversation about whether or not I'm getting an Xbox? Because the volume of games that I cannot play on the Nintendo platform I enjoy or the PlayStation platform that I enjoy is... Uh, mounting up and will not slow down anytime soon. So it's going to be an interesting couple of, couple of years as first-party Xbox efforts continue to strengthen. Any closing thoughts, Jonesy, on the developer direct? Um, only that I thought it was solid. I thought it was really good. Um, we've we've had some sort of like not like lack maybe lackluster is unfair, but often we say like Xbox need to do something, and not just Xbox like PlayStation as well. They need to do more with like their first party stuff or they need to do more with their third party stuff or they're not really putting enough games out or da 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 um yep. this was for me was a um a, a, a full of exciting um you know big uh just not not like obviously they're not releases but like just more of all of these games and and it's it lived up to its name is you know developer direct it, it felt like it was the developers telling us more about their games giving us more to chew on as, and these games are all coming out this year um, I know it's, it was it was great. Um, I thought it was I thought it was very good. I was pleasantly surprised that I watched it live, even if I was twenty yeah. years behind. No, I I completely agree. A ni nice package. Always really cool to see developers give it a bit more time to talk about things rather than having to you know cram out a trailer or a vertical slice. And also a nice reminder. I thought that like while there was technically a surprise in there, uh, as the inclusion of Visions of Mana wasn't you know advertised beforehand. It was still a nice reminder that when we're sitting down to watch a live stream like this, you know, a showcase or whatever it ends up being in the future, it's not like our enjoyment isn't contingent on being surprised with announcements that come way out of left field for games that are years away. You can still show us more of a game that we know about and have seen before, um, but like need to see more of. And I think just between, again, Avowed, which we'd had two trailers for up to this point, Indiana Jones, which has already obviously already been announced and talked about very openly, and at Hellblade, which we'd seen multiple multiple trailers for in gameplay before, even just sitting down to see more of those three games was was exciting enough for me. Um, and and again, yeah, like a nice reminder that whoever's turn it is next, you know, they don't need to sit down and blow the bloody doors off the showcase with you know some like I said some way out of left field announcement. Sometimes people just want to see more of the shit they're excited about. Um, so yeah, uh, a, a strong showing, um, and and exciting to be podcasting in January with legitimate things to be able to talk about. Because Lord knows that if we didn't have things like the developer direct to talk about, then this podcast really would be on its last legs. Um, and perhaps even more so if it weren't for the love, support, affection of our fine friends um, over at Patreon.com forward slash Super Show, because that is the place where a number of people have flocked over and seen fit to support us at various tiers and become patrons. Um, what you'll find if you head over to that link, patreon.com forward slash super show, is that you can support us at a number of different tiers, and there are different rewards, whether you want Discord access, whether you want Patreon-exclusive podcasts and videos that we've produced in the past, and still, with a bit of an asterisk, continue to produce, dep depending on uh, how time allows. Like, we did, hey, we did a spoiler cast about Spider-Man 2, for example. That was still kind of recent, right, guys? Um, Patreon.com forward slash Super Show. A big thank you to everyone who has gone over there and checked out that stuff. Um, there are some names on screen right now 
of some fine folks that have already gone over and supported. So thank you so much to all of you. But I would also like to give some personal shout outs to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Cam, Dal Nielsen, Pastors Guild. And then, of course, we have the big dogs. A huge, huge thank you to Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, and, of course, Peasewood. Thank you all ever, ever, ever so much for your continued support and patronage. Um, and we hope you continue to enjoy the podding. No, yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you to everyone for supporting us. Thank you as well to um, all the people in the chat who are uh, there saying hello. I'm just going to give a quick shout out to some people I missed earlier because The Mushroom and Rodrigo have joined since I last said anything. So, yeah, thank you guys. But no, thank you. Uh, thank you, patrons. Thank you for your con continued support. Yeah. I don't know if I can even get that word out. Do you know what? If you flip those two names around and called it Rodrigo and the Mushroom, that sounds like an indie band that I might have liked in 2012 for maybe a, well, an hour or so. Yeah. Did you listen to that new record, Rodrigo and the Mushroom? Just dropped. Uh, uh, no, I was. Oh uh, no, I'm more of a Bombay Bicycle Club <laughs> fan myself. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know indie music. If that's not clear. Um, what I do know, Jonesy, are video games. Um, and for all the hot new video games that are coming out at the moment, we talked about Prince of Persia last week. If you're the biggest streamer on planet Earth, you may have been playing the new Like a Dragon game this week. But instead, I'm playing a game that came out four years ago, baby. Uh, the Last of Us Part 2 remastered dropped on Friday. And if you own the game either digitally or physically um, uh, and can prove prove it, Jonesy, key point for you by putting a disc in the disc drive, <laughs> if it is physical, uh, then you can get access to this title for $10 in the US, £10 in the UK, which is a bit of a bummer. It really should be like £8, but who's counting? Um, and so, Jonesy, I've played the first handful of hours of The Last of Part 2 remastered. I don't have a huge amount to say about it. That hasn't already been said because The Last of Us is... It's on the verge of being the most... Were it not for Marvel's Avengers, dare I say, um, The Last of Us Part Two would be the most discussed video game in the history of certainly this podcast, maybe even most podcasts. And so I'm not going to bore people with it. Just to say that I'm actually slightly disappointed having watched the Digital Foundry breakdown of this, especially that so many of the fundamentals of the visual presentation of this remaster... Uh, even the word remaster feels generous, are identical to what the game would have been like uh, if you had just, if you, to this day, played the PlayStation 4 version of the game uh, on the PlayStation 5 via backwards compatibility. There is, of course, a fidelity mode that lets the game run at native 4K, but I really feel like if you're going to go back and replay The Last of Us for a second time, uh, in, in people who are in the same situation as myself, then we're doing it to play it at 60 frames a second because that feels like more of a selling point than pushing more pixels and in that case i'm just reminded of the fact that i could have done it at any point in the last you know year and a half and i didn't um and i guess that's on me uh but it feels weird uh i i, I do think that there may be 10 pounds worth of value or 10 dollars worth of value for anyone who really wants to either a replay this game at 4k or for whatever reason is really not cool with the idea of playing in backwards, compatibil backwards compatibility for whatever reason any someone who really wants to play those lost levels someone who really wants to play those roguelike modes like fundamentally there is still a great game to be played here and someone who i did take the approach of just starting again from 100 percent from fresh not even new game plus and i'm like actually yeah this is a game that came out in 2020 that i played through once in about four or five days and never touched again and I think when you go through such... And then 
but Ben spoke about for years. And when you go through such a whirlwind kind of experience with a game, you know, playing 22 hours in, in, in a very short period of time and then not touching again, that I am kind of being reminded of sequences and moments and um, and just watching cutscenes that I haven't seen in, in, in three and a half years and going, ah, cool. Yeah, like that. And, and unsurprisingly, it's reaffirming like a lot of what I already believed about the fundamental qualities of that game. Yeah. It's, but it's also just nice, I will just say, like playing the game without thinking like knowing what's going to happen without feeling stressed or pre like not worrying about whether or not I'm enjoying it, not right. worried about whether or not things are going to get spoiled, knowing exactly what's going to happen and just being able to appreciate it, the qualities from a more technical perspective. Watching a cutscene and knowing I don't need to hang off every word because I understand what's happening and instead just being able to kind of like think about the dialogue a little bit more, think about the quality of the writing a little bit more, think about the quality of the performances a little bit more um, and just kind of drinking some of those elements in a little bit more than you're able to when you're just reacting to something and seeing it for the first time. Um, it's been an interesting experience in that sense. No, I can imagine. Like, I, I, It's funny, I hadn't even thought of, of it in the sense that you're talking about and there's a, you can play it differently now um, mm -hmm. yeah which is no must be it must be a nice thing to sort of sit down and do um it's quite an investment to obviously do it all again um to get to that 20 hour mark but uh well no, keen to i can't afford i can't afford prince of persia or or like a dragon <laughs> until until next month so for might the next well. week week plus i might as well play the last of us fair enough um but unless you've got anything else to uh to to fill in the folks at home about Jonesy in terms of games, movies, or TV shows, then we might move right along to the game that has been, if not dominating our lives, then certainly dominating the lives of people who spend a chronically worrying amount of time on social media. <laughs> and that's Power World. Um, when, tell me, Jonesy, when did Power World first register in your brain? Did you, did you see the name come up and remember it from one of Keeley's shows as like, the game with Pokemon, but also guns, or was this like something that just hit you out of the blue this week? Oh, is it the is it that one? I didn't even realize it yeah. was the Pokemon with guns one. Now you it was a, it like well, oh, because yeah. that's why it did have a little bit of hype rolling into it. Obviously, like there were pre-orders and like there were. I mean, this is it's still in, in early access, so you know there was a game that had kind of been around for a little while. People right. had known about it for a little while. No, now uh, you say it, but yeah. I'd forgotten about it basically. I'd completely forgotten about it. Um, it was uh, so. I think it was two days ago that um, my X feed started going crazy with Power World, and, and yeah. then I think it was like yesterday when I started seeing oh, Power World does more numbers on Steam than you know whatever game. Oh, biggest day of, of on Steam for blah blah blah. Um, and I was like, what is a? At first, I was like, is this rubbish advertising? Like, is it yeah. trying to get you to play some crap game that no one's actually playing? Um, but then I just kept seeing so much of it that I was like, okay, what is it? What the hell is this? Pokemon, uh, Final Fantasy kind of like weird mashup sort of um, game. And then, yeah. also, and then I started seeing all the controversy about it. So that was fun. Which, yeah, and it's kind of created this vicious cycle where the success has fueled the conversation, the conversation has fueled the digging, and the digging has found the controversy, and the controversy has fueled the discussion, the discussion has fueled the success. <laughs> And what do you know, uh, you get a, a game that seems like a behemoth for a very short amount of time and will probably disappear very quickly. But I will say, Jonesy, as you hinted at, it is already setting records that even if Pal World at this point disappears as quickly as it, as it arrived on, on the scene, it is now destined to be mentioned, you know, 
in in every breath in which we continue to utter you know future record breakers because it has got right up there so for anyone that hasn't no idea what we're talking about pal world is uh, fundamentally i think it's like a survival game that kind of has a lot of its roots in games like rust and arc but also riffs on a lot of the ideas of games like pokemon uh wherein uh you're able to kind of collect and utilize these monsters that all have very kind of chibi cute um pokemon-esque designs to them uh it launched in early access on friday um it's predominantly being played uh on the on the pc uh for sale through steam but it is also technically a part of game pass on the xbox uh, i know that ge that version of the game isn't doing quite as well um at least out of the gates because i want to say it's a little bit more limited in terms of its networker abilities and the the size of the multiplayer service and so on and so forth um but it started selling like crazy um according to the game developers pocket pair this is probably when you jonesy first are hearing about it the game exceeded 2 million sales in its first 24 hours um it has now gone on to sell over 5 million copies in only three days um which means that this game is like it's selling as quickly as you would expect you know the biggest first party playstation xbox uh titles to to, to uh, you know in terms of speed and it and time it's it's moving as quickly as those games tend to do won't have the same legs in all likelihood um but the movement is crazy and obviously because it is selling a huge amount of copies in a very finite amount of time it is unsurprisingly uh, achieving massive numbers of concurrent players um and as of today it exceeded 1.5 million concurrents which is the third highest all-time peak in steam history that's right in the history of steam the number the record number of concurrent players currently looks like number one PUBG, number two counter-strike 2 number three pal world <laughs> it's also worth noting that if you look at paid games the only game there included is PUBG. so it's been number two um in terms of the paid uh concurrent uh you know all-time peak uh to PUBG for some time uh but only today did it overtake i think a couple of you know overtook two games today like dota 2 and um maybe i can't i can't even remember i'm not gonna guess but um that's what i mean when i say jonesy even if power world disappears in a flash at this point we will now have to talk about it every time we talk about future games you know ranking on the all-time uh peak for concurrent players in steam's history because our world is now in that conversation and can't be removed from it yeah, crazy I, as it sounds it is um it is kind of crazy to think that for years to come, any list made around like the top concurrent games, Power World. Although maybe we're being unfair. Maybe Power World is going to have legs for days and it's just going to keep on running. I would just just for interest. I was just I yeah. hadn't looked. I was just checking out how much um, it is. So it is uh, on introductory offer at the moment, and it is uh, twenty two forty nine to get your hands on Power World. Um, but that, Which again, yeah, it's crazy that it's it's done so well. Because as well, like I saw some positive feedback around the same time that you did on X. People who were playing it, who clearly had, had their eye on it for a little while, going, oh, this is actually funner than I thought it would be. But the idea that 5 million people were ready to roll up, open Steam on the weekend and say, I'm going to drop 22 quid in this game just for the sake of it. Like, I just, it, it, it did kind of blindside me a little bit. Because, um, you know, normally when we're talking about success stories like these, you know, I, I don't know it just feels like there's a little bit more either build up to it or a little bit more reasoning for it to happen but clearly something about this has struck a chord with audiences and really kind of wet people's appetites and i 
before we get to the controversy, I will just say it doesn't seem like there's anything malicious or bad about the game itself. It seems like people, uh, in a lot of cases, are being surprised by how good a time they are having with it. Um, I haven't actually spoken firsthand to anyone that's played this game. No, I haven't played it myself, so I can't speak to that. But it doesn't seem like it's doing anything wrong. So I'm surprised by this, but there's a part of me that were this the the beginning and end of the story would just say yeah like fair play to pocket pair is the name of the developer i hope that they are richer than they ever imagined they would be in their <laughs> lives and uh and uh and they're gonna you know run off into the sunset um like, like but unfortunately you and i both know Josie, that's not where the story ends do you want to get into the controversies now or do you have any other kind of thoughts about you know the game itself and the success it's seen no, I'm not surprised at the success it's seen, but I think in some respects the controversy and the success kind of go hand in hand. And I don't yes. mean I don't mean in the sense that we already talked about, which is that um, the controversy fuels the uh, the news stories and the news stories get it out there, and it's almost like what was it? No, there's no such thing as bad as bad press, right? I don't think it's that necessarily. I think that one of the one of the things it, the controversial side of it. Um, that we're going to talk about is its similarity similarity to Pokemon, um, and I think in some respects, it's it's doing to me anyway. It seems like it's doing very well because Pokemon and um, uh, the characters associated with the game are very heavily protected usually, and it seems like someone's managed to get through a chink in that armor, put out a game that yep. that you know probably. I mean, we'll get into it, but it's questionable about whether or not it's stepping on stepping on Pokemon's toes. And I wonder if a big part of its success is that, is people saying, oh, you can get the Pokemon clone with guns and it's only £22. Yeah. I wonder if there's a part of that, which is why it's doing so well. Yeah, especially at a time where, and not to get too, too ahead of ourselves, there are large portions of the kind of the audience for Pokemon games who believe that the Pokemon formula and recent attempts to broaden the Pokemon game scope have failed, and that, that series has become a little bit stagnant. Mm. You know, if you were to wait for a time such as now, where you know, you know where uh, Game Freak and and the, and the Pokemon's as a series attempts to uh, you know engage with a bigger, broader, more open world kind of game design philosophy, have largely failed by most accounts or by a lot of accounts, and all of a sudden you're presenting a very big open-ended open world survival game with pokemon elements not a bad time to kind of like piggyback off the series misfortunes and like you said also a series that has notoriously been quite difficult to ape um but that that is kind of where you kind of get in we get towards the elephant in the room well one of two elephants in the room but we'll address the more obvious one first of all the elephant that's standing in front of a slightly smaller elephant in the <laughs> corner of the room um, because the game has obviously been noted, and we have just noted on its uh, lot similarities to the Pokemon formula, lots of riffs on the Pokemon formula, but also designs that are very reminiscent of um, uh, Pokemon-esque designs. And again, there's a hu huge grey area here where it's like, to what extent is it looking at Pokemon as just the creation of likeable or attractive or cute pocket-sized monsters and just done its own interpretation of that? To what extent has it actually plagiarized something? Those elements are still being debated, and we'll discuss that a little bit further. Lots of people have pointed out that things like Digimon exist. You can create your own small monsters if you want to, absolutely. But what you can't obviously do is steal the work of other developers. Whether or not that has happened 
has yet to be proven with concrete evidence. Um, but those plagiarism concerns have been put in front of the developer pocket pair. They've said they have, quote, no intention of being found legally at fault for any similarity between it and any other popular pocket monster franchise. Quote, we make our games very seriously and we have absolutely no intention of infringing upon the intellectual property of other companies. However, as I just kind of hinted at, lots of users on X are already looking through the models found within Power World. Some of them are overlaying them with models that are found within Scarlet and Violet and are finding that some of those models in terms of proportions are almost identical that when you kind of play, take a well, wireframe version of a certain Pokemon's model and overlay it with a monster found within Power World, they're identical to the point where it simply could not happen. Like the chances of it happening right. accidentally, given how identical they are in almost all ways and almost all facets, is simply impossible. And obviously, then you get into a weird situation where is it a developer going rogue because they were running behind? Is it something that was known about or acknowledged or, or recommended from a, from a company perspective? What are they? And and it gets into a whole mess that we can't even begin to untangle yet because this evidence has not been presented yet in a concrete fashion from someone who's willing to put, you know, they're kind of willing to not testify in court for fuck's sake. I'm not getting that serious, but you know what I mean. Like anonymous Twitter accusations will will continue to be anonymous Twitter accusations, no matter how much of the work that individual has seen to put in to those accusations. And so Jonesy we exist at the moment on the plagiarism issue to exist in a weird gray area where where does the line get drawn between paying homage to or or riffing on an idea that exists somewhere else how do you prove where actual like like visible and demonstrable plagiarism has taken place how do we prove if models have been stolen how do you know if those are uh, incidents are isolated or widespread it becomes really tricky right yeah, it's horrendous. Like, so it's, I mean, you, as you said, like the pocket monster thing has been done so many times since, since I don't know, even if Pokemon did it first, but um, uh, so I've got two young kids and the number of TV shows that they don't, actually they don't watch that much anymore, but the number of TV shows that they watch with, with um, pocket monsters is like upwards of like five or five to 10, where it's basically mm -hmm. exactly the same as Pokemon, you know, from the pocket monster aspect. So I don't think there's anything um, surprising about that. But when it comes to this game, I think the thing that is surprising is when we originally saw this back and I'd forgotten about on whatever Jeff Keighley show it was, I think we immediately, we said then like, geez, they've just ripped off Pokemon. Like yes. this isn't even a question. Like it was, it did look like Pokemon would have just been maybe made different colors and put into this game. And I think the thing that people are pushing back on now with this is, I think as you've said is, it's not that they've been inspired by Pokemon. It's not that they've used the pocket monster idea. It's the fact that it seems that they may have just ripped off actual Pokemon, which is that like inspiration, imitation, all of that stuff is in creative endeavors, I think is fine. I think it does get a bit dicey when you get, you know, and it's too close. But when you're talking about just stealing other developers' work for the sake of potentially what we're talking, $110 million that this game may have made in, in four or five days is, yeah. is like, you can't do that. And where does it end up? I think you said like it ends up in a courtroom with a judge and experts saying, no, this is not a, uh, this is not like a, oh, uh, we, my so-and-so was inspired by their pet chow chow or whatever. It's right. No, no, no. It's you, you nicked this. You've taken this yeah. and tried to sell it as your own. And, and Lord knows if Nintendo themselves wish to get involved in this, 
there will be no hesitation whatsoever for litigation to be uh, mentioned. Like, immediately, like Nintendo uh, yeah. are the most litigation-forward company, perhaps in the entire video game industry. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how they respond to this. Whether it's well, and how how it will be on their radar, but how in their radar it is, and how they're choosing to respond. Because you're you're right, it's a very difficult one. Because the thing that feels different about Power World compared to say Digimon is you watch Power World trailers or gameplay, and you see a monster within Power World, and you go, "Oh, that's that Pokemon." Yeah, they've um, they've adjusted it and twisted it and like reworked it, but you go like, "Oh, that started life as that Pokemon," and I guess the weird thing is. If, let's say, the allegations of actual plagiarism or stolen work or assets and models being reused from existing Pokemon products, let's say those allegations don't hold any water and it is just the kind of like the visual inspiration taken to a worrying degree, like how do you police something like this and where do you think, like, I, I, I'm not asking you to become a copyright lawyer for the sake of this podcast, but if you could, that would be great. Like, it. Is that as difficult as it sounds, even for the people who are paid big bucks to deal with these kind of issues? Yeah, like it must be. Like well, the, the most common one we hear about is is music, right? Is um someone saying, right. "Oh, my dad made a song, and now I own his estate, and you've used a riff that he used, and you've ripped it off." And then you get these back and forward legal battles in court where you've got like Ed Sheeran, I know, as busy through at one point where he's trying to say, no, no, it's these four chords that are really widely used and I use them in this way. And this, pro and then they then they bring Remember out, that. okay, it may be the chords, but the production's done the same. And then uh, you was, at some point, someone always brings up like, well, you've got cowbell in yours and the cowbell in, was in the original. Why would you have used cow? Like, I think it's going to get to that point. I think it's going to be like, he's got a dangly bit under his neck and it's blue and yours has got a dangly bit under its neck and it's blue. And it's going to end up being this... Uh, you know, like arguing the nuance about everything, and it's going to be experts in design and graphic design and, and animation and illustration. That if if it does get to that point, they're going to be the ones who have to sort of um, come out and, and decide. I do think so. Uh, just to sort of uh, mirror what you were saying uh, in chat, Rodrigo saying that like they they were watching some of the stuff from this game, and, and one of their friends who'd never seen them before immediately named two Pokemon that two Power yeah. World creatures looked exactly like. And I think that's the thing that is going to make this that's going to make this interesting is that this isn't like Digimon. This isn't like um uh uh oh god, I can't remember what they called. I've even played the game. Like yeah, I remember you streamed one of them on the Switch. Yeah, but uh but, oh god, but my kids are, my kids will hate me for this because they absolutely love them and they talk about them all the time and they've even got the little toys. What are they bloody called? Bakugan. They're not like Bakugan. Bakugan. Um, Yokai Watch. Because like Bakugan, for example, uh, just to, to, as an example, has pocket monsters. They when they're fighting, they're big and they and they and they're massive and they fight each other. And when they're not, they shriek down to little pocket monsters, and you can put in put them in your pocket. They look like mini transformer dinosaurs and tigers and stuff. You would never confuse them with a Pokemon, but these ones look exactly like not all of them, but some of them look exactly like a Pokemon. And it's weird because the other aspects of the game. And this maybe makes it even worse, or maybe maybe not. Maybe it makes it slightly better. The people in the game and the environments in the game don't. They look like a yeah. kind of a run of the mill uh, like RPG. They're more like Final Fantasy, or they're more like um, yeah, that type of style. So with assets that might have been bought from an asset store, maybe. Yes. I don't know. Whereas then, but then you have these cartoony animated pokey creatures that just stand out. So I, I, yeah. I someone's getting sued, man. 
<laughs> someone is, someone is definitely getting sued. And I'll be honest, Jonesy, we talked earlier about the elef- the smaller elephant standing behind the big elephant. <laughs> I've got a feeling that the longer this goes on, the more the two elephants might start to switch places because there are two other things going on in this story uh, when you dig a little bit deeper, and neither of them look particularly flattering for Pocket Pair. Um, one of them has to do with AI, and the other one has to do with uh, the studio itself um, and the studio's makeup. I suppose if we start with AI, because this is, a, again, is a bit of a tricky one to discuss because there's nothing concrete here that you can look at Power World and say they've done the thing fucked up. And even if AI was a factor in Power World, it would simply be something that was unpopular rather than something that was you know, in, 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 infringing copyright or illegal or whatever. Um, AI has uh, been an element of the work that this developer has done previously. They released a title in the past called AI Art Imposter, which is a game that utilized a an AI image generator as one of its core mechanics. Um, there have also been a lot of historical posts on X or Twitter from the CEO of the company. He's called Taku, Taku, Takuro Mizobe. Um, I hopefully didn't butch that pronunciation. But he's talked a lot about AI and has praised the potential of AI and AI image generators in the past. Um, in fact, uh, there was a post that he made on Twitter in 2022 that discussed how he believed gener- generative AI tools could one day be sophisticated enough to avoid copyright issues. A pretty damning uh, quote to have uh, on the record. <laughs> yeah. Should something like this uh, go to court. Also more damning and even more damning is a post from 2021 where Mazobe literally showed how AI could be used to generate new Pokemon designs. How if you basically, if you taught a model based on existing Pokemon, then you could use AI to come up with new Pokemon models, uh, but uh, new Pokemon designs, but obviously with a model that was taught solely on existing Pokemon. So it would be built out of, you can say, building blocks of Pokemon. Now, Josie, there's no evidence, uh, hard or otherwise, that uh, Pocket Pair um, have used AI to create new monster designs. Um, But... Again, it opens up a fascinating conversation where you've got the unpopularity of AI art as it exists in the social media sphere at the moment because people want to support artists and want artists getting paid. We've all seen X threads where AI art is being shit on and the practice of creating AI art is drawn into question. We've all seen those. That conversation continues to exist. You've then got, once again, though, the potential copyright issues of AI models that are taught exclusively or fed exclusively copyrighted images or copyrighted designs or designs of monsters from a copyrighted piece of work or whatever to then create like it's again so many shades of gray but you're you're one of the more knowledgeable people in my circle at least when it comes to ai what where does this argument sit in the broader power world discussion for you based on what we know at the moment and what we don't i guess so I think there's a couple of elements that could actually, and this could be really interesting um, when we're talking about AI. So AI has a problem at the moment because, for example, like open um, open AI are, uh, I don't know if it's actually happening at the moment or it will be happening soon, but they're being sued by some people at the moment um, for illegally using their material in order to train uh, ChatGPT, for example. And it's not just them, it's a whole bunch of other um, AI companies that are u- developing LLMs. And the idea is that it's actually not legal to use text that you've written um, to, to train uh, an, an LLM because that is a tantamount to then, I suppose, you're sort of feeding all of your information into it and then the AI is just going to chop it all up and use it so it is like a copyright machine, right? 
Whereas I think what mm. what a lot of those AI developers want you to think is, no, we're it's almost like we're showing our AI child your words or your pictures, and they're just looking at it and going, oh, that's pretty, and they're learning like a human would learn, which is obviously not true. Like that's not how machine learning works. That's not how um, like you know uh, token predictive LLMs and things and, and image systems work. Um, they are regurgitating like what they've seen before, but just with a whole bunch of other stuff thrown in. And what I find really interesting about this is there's potential that um, that that Pocket Pair didn't mean to infringe the copyright for these Pokemon characters, but they had trained, as you said, they trained a system in order to create new Pokemon characters. But actually what it did was, it, and it did probably created a whole load of them for them, and they thought that, oh, these look great, and that they were mm. removed enough from pokemon that they weren't violating any copyright but it would be really interesting if it turned out that actually it also spat out some extremely similar pokemon due to the way that it was trained and that yeah. those were similar enough that they were breaching copyright and so you could end up with a wider impact of this which says no like ai is if you feed stuff into it then then that is copyright infringement um like adobe for example have got some um uh, AI tools that they've brought online that are really useful and they've actually been quite careful about the the information that they're feeding into their AI systems and how they train them to make sure that they're not utilizing copyright material which is seems like that kind of seems obvious it seems like you shouldn't just be able to yeah ch like chop everything up and feed it into your AI and say oh look we've created all this amazing stuff because it's like well yeah but did you get the rights of those people did you get the rights of that author did you get the rights of that artist um yeah, it's so it's so interesting, and it, I think what makes it more interesting is uh, I know um, you've done a lot of like research for this, and there's some great sort of research that you found where the pocket pair are effectively talking about how great it is that they've hired very inexperienced people, they've hired some amateur people and people with no other um, you know professional experience in the areas they're working in, and often my as I was reading these things, like often my brain goes to how do you fill the gap between um, lack of experience and getting out a game like this i'm like ai does a great job of filling those gaps sometimes yeah um, yeah so it's a nice no, fascinating man it's it, i think this yeah. could end up being in extremely interesting if it does go to court if nintendo do sue them um and we get to the point where they start to take apart like models that have been created to develop ai's oh it's it's cool it's exciting you know uh, now that you know the the Apple and Epic stuff is kind of mostly wrapped up, I feel like we do need a new courtroom drama, a video game edition in our lives. And like, while sometimes it doesn't seem like very Nintendo-like to go that kind of route, it is one of those things that, for as odd as it seems to say, if Power World continues to build up momentum in any way, shape, or form, or even just maintains its current momentum, like and reaches ten million copies by the end of the week let's say I, I don't know how possible that is but we're living in a world where you have might have to entertain that kind of thinking then yeah like who knows who's going to be coming out of the woodwork what's going to be revealed how they're going to have to walk that back if they can walk that back like what will be done to eventually avoid court is that is it is it avoidable who's going to be taking them there what's going to be at risk and that state so many fascinating outcomes and and as you just said jonesy it's at times like this these where people might look to pocket pair the developer for almost reassurance and hope to find a Japanese studio that, yeah, they hadn't heard of before, but that might have, you know, 1,000 employees and have been developing games for 50 years and have no reason to do any of this. But that is not what you find when you look at Pocket Pair. When you look at Pocket Pair, you find 
and a self-described indie Japanese studio that, as we said, worked on that AI art and poster game where the central gimmick or the core mechanic of the game revolves around AI image generation. Uh, there's a game called uh, Craftopia, which was um, built entire, almost entirely, let's say mostly, using off-the-shelf assets that anyone can go and buy, and you only have to go and look at some images from that game, even images on Pocket Pair's own website, to see, oh yeah, there is no cohesive visual aesthetic between any of this, because they wanted a game that had a car and a hovercraft <laughs> and a thingy, all, all these things in it at once, so they just downloaded assets, regardless of whether or not they looked like they belonged in the same game. And then, Jonesy, you think about developers, whether or not they'd want to risk their reputation or their careers on you know plagiarizing other materials on so on and so forth and so you start to look at who might be working on these games on an individual level and yet pal what we find out that pal world was made by a mostly inexperienced team most of them were amateurs before being hired not my words i will say i think those are the words of Eurogamer. i don't know how i feel about calling people amateurs let's just say not professionals yet not, not um, earnestly paid <laughs> yes um one team member um the ceo mizobe claimed was previously working at a convenience store before they got the job um, there's talk about how 100 character concepts within Power World were mostly made by a single graduate student, quote, she was a graduate and had applied to nearly 100 companies, but failed them all, and now she's drawing most of the characters in Power World. And again, there have been plenty of success stories about people who were rejected by every, where it's, whether it's educational institution or every company on planet Earth, and went on to be Steven fucking Spielberg. But when your CEO is going out there in a game that is really under the microscope for issues of plagiarism and AI generation and so on and so forth, and you say, oh yeah, we hired a graduate who 100 other companies had rejected, who had never worked at a video game studio before, and she made 100 character concepts for what is now the second, the, excuse me, the third highest uh, concurrent player count in Steam history, um, and has sold 5 million copies and like... It doesn't make sense. I will also note that they are also making a um, a game called Nevergrave. And Jonesy, I'm gonna do. It. Do you mind if we do a little bit of a live social experiment? Go for it. I've just sent you a link on Discord uh, directly to the page for for the Nevergrave section of the Pocket Bear website. Could you click on that and scroll down um, just a little bit until you start to get to the screenshots? Yeah, I might. Uh, is this gonna mess? Oh no, hold on. If I do that, it's gonna make me leave Discord, and then I'll. The people lose your little face, so I'm going to. Um, I'm going to oh, have, I see. I'm going to have to open another window. One sec. Let's have a look. My apologies. All I'd like you to do when you get a second is open that page, scroll past the trailer until you get to the screenshots, and tell me what game you think you're looking at. If you were to ignore the design of the player character. Uh, okay. And I'd, and I I know what I I people are just going to have to trust me. Oh, Jonesy, get what? off the bat. Yeah, is that Hollow Knight? It's Hollow Knight. They are making. They're just making a Hollow Knight clone. It's a Hollow Knight with a witch. They just. They. They've just replaced it. With a, they put. A, they put a witch in there. But like, for anyone curious, PocketPair.jp is their website. Uh, if you're curious to go and see what Nevergrave is, uh, it's not out yet. You can wishlist it on Steam. It ostensibly appears to be a game that, in in everything but name, is just Hollow Knight. That's. Um, that's actually which was weird about what well, no I, i'm looking at it i'm like oh my god that's hollow knight but then i'm kind of thinking like i i but nothing i'm looking at is is like obviously right out of hollow knight but everything about it is it's like witness they've managed to somehow just capture the entire aesthetic and mechanics and movement 
but just change the images, which is weird as my brain is struggling to comprehend how it can yeah. look so similar and then without having the same elements. if they looked at Hollow Knight and studied everything they could about that game's art direction and aesthetic and perhaps used AI to generate assets that they did not <laughs> have the personnel capable of generating themselves. Right. Like, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's it's, mad, it, it's a, all I know is I haven't even played Power World and I feel like mid to late January 2024, we've already been blessed with what could end up being one of the most fascinating stories of the entire year. Um, yeah, like so. Yeah, if you if you if you're watching this live or if you're watching this after, I, I, did you say the so yeah pocketpair.jp go there and, and you can see what Jake's yeah. talking about. That uh, is, that yeah, is stark. You, you can also, Jonesy, if you're still on that website, click on at the top the links at the top. Click on Craftopia, and if you one. if you scroll to the very bottom and just look at the vehicle section and look at the disparity between the design aesthetics of that hovercraft, the Akira looking <laughs> bike, like like the the weird the weird like jungle temple image above it um like there's absolutely no attempt whatsoever to create a visual uh a, a, like a coherent visual style they just pulled the assets that they could <laughs> but afford but i don't know okay so this is the part where I, I think maybe i'll have a bit of an unpopular opinion because i will say like when it comes to AI generation and when it comes to like generative tools in general, like not if it doesn't necessarily have to be like AI's creating everything, but you know, you're using AI tools to help you generate some stuff. I, I don't mind that. Like, I think the future is going to involve a lot of AI, a lot of generative stuff where, where artists and VO art, VO artists and like video editors are going to use all of these tools to make better stuff and, and game devs as well. And like with level design and things like that, I'm not against any of that. I think it's just going to make stuff better. And I also don't like the argument sometimes that, um, oh, that we, you know, that it's not fair on the, um, on people that create that art currently because what are they going to do? Because then you could just get back to the argument of like, well, what, where were, where were you when uh, they were removing the checkouts from Tesco and Sainsbury's? Like, you know, when they automated that industry, you can have this really reductive like argument which goes back and back and back. I do think, though, it should be artists working with AI to make better stuff as opposed to replacing it wholesale. And I think this is what you... And uh, we don't know. We don't know. This is me just guessing. But I think this is what you get when you don't do... You don't involve the artists at all. And you just try and right. use the AI. And you try and go the easy route. Whereas... Because AI, with someone who's got an eye for design and, you know, an artist, an illustrator, an animator... You could end up with some ph phenomenal stuff and quickly as well. Like they'll be able to, oh, yeah. it'll accelerate their work process, it'll accelerate their oh. work patterns. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but you, as someone who regularly works within the Adobe suite, like, as we both do, people out there will already be well aware of one of the biggest determining factors of whether or not people are scared of a certain EAO update or improvement within a lot of software is whether or not the term AI is even used. Half the time, there are things that could call themselves AI, but don't, but fundamentally are still built on the same like ideas of, hey, we're going to automate something for you because we're smarter than you are at this point, and you let them do it. When After Effects improve their like ma automatic rotoscoping tools, you don't sit there and going, mm, I really should be drawing these rotos, I really should be rotoscoping by hand, frame by frame at this point. You let it do it. I, w I use generative AI today in Photoshop to remove logos from uh actually from from ai generated images that um that we were going to we were going to use as just like a fun little game of you know we've asked ai to um to give us a futuristic version of this product 
can you tell what the original product is? And it's just a bit of fun. And, you know, it's, it's not like uh, we're not, there's no money being made of blah, blah, anything like that. But we wouldn't have, we wouldn't pay somebody to go and do that had we not been able, had we not done it with AI. We just wouldn't have done it. We would have had another idea because it's literally one of those sorts, sorts of things. But then similarly, like I, and I've used, actually, funnily enough, if you're listening to this on podcasting platforms after the fact, chances are there's been some AI audio enhancement done to this through the Adobe suite as well, because we've, do that now after the fact with our um, audio only side of this but I, I again i come back to the thing of it's a hell of a lot better i think that me and you jamie sitting here and record this and then we use ai to enhance audio for clarity as opposed to to ai audio voices um that sure. have been completely generated from scratch um which i think is different or like if we had a video pipeline and we were working within premiere and we had let's say multiple cameras and multiple you know audio sources as as many podcasts uh do uh, as it is we just basically stream this and then uh, upload the audio version uh, on on its own elsewhere but if we did have a more like broad scale video and audio kind of like workflow and we and we told people that we let premiere automatically sync um audio that was captured from a separate uh source with our video and we let premiere automatically uh, add cuts like um uh, where yeah or we let we let premiere automatically cut between cameras based off who's talking things that you know that no one would bat an eyelid that we were le- that we as quote unquote artists were letting software do things that we are used to be- being able to do by now because we haven't called it ai or we haven't called it scary and because people aren't worried about us not doing something we can do and letting a letting a piece of software do it faster again because it's like i know yes either of us could cut between your camera and my camera if we were editing this in premiere but if adobe wants to do it for us and we're happy to vet the results and and sign off on them then 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 no one's no one's getting hurt um which is why that i think that we should be wary of like completely blocking off all ways in which ai can be uh, used as a tool by artists to improve or speed uh, speed up workflows and so on and so forth. I, you know, we have to be cautious with everything, but I broadly speaking agree with what you're saying that there doesn't need to be quite as much. I I think a lot of the, the, the causes that people are really fighting for on social media are often uh, are, are valid. Um, and, I, and I guess I commend them for caring as much as they do about artists' rights and so on and so forth. Um, and and making sure that artists remain relevant and are being paid for their work, and you know the more and more pieces of official art that are released on social media by massive companies, whether they're game developers or film studios or whoever it is, like when companies like Xbox and um, you know Magic the Gathering and people like that are like you know doing a holiday post with a, a piece of AI generated Christmas art, and you're like that's one less artist with money in their pocket. I do think that there are cautionary conversations to be had there, um, but I'd, not not to the extent that chokeholds letting AI do everything that it could do to aid the artist in the long run. No, I, I agree. Like, I always come back to the idea that AI can't actually generate anything new. It can re- yes. it can rejig like and this goes for images, this goes for words, this goes for VO. It can it can rejig uh, something so it appears to be novel but it actually can't create anything and the only way you can create anything from like at genuinely create anything brand new is by using um human artists to do it obviously that as 
the as the uh ai stuff gets better at rejigging i think the number of people that are the number of companies that will use it will get bigger because they don't need or they don't they won't necessarily want to spend the money on um you know a limited number of very very uh able people that can do that stuff but then but then the weird thing is like as we've worked in this industry like video and, and you know not necessarily gaming but like the video side of it we've just seen the industry expand like i haven't seen i haven't seen people lose their jobs i've just seen more companies do more stuff and the people with the humans in it just do better stuff like um with yeah the it, it, it is a bit depressing when you look at certain industries that like are aware it does feel like job security is on a downward trend and there are large numbers of, of of layoffs and at least the sentiment is you know if you kind of poll or survey employees that they feel like their jobs are more at risk than ever before and when you look at the open positions on some of those companies websites they're like what are the what's the job role where they want people who are just really good at making commands for ai uh, prompt, prompt writers yeah yeah exactly and it's like jesus like my job's on the line and you're you you you're, you're you've got 120k a year to spare for a prompt writer is this really what we're doing like that stuff scares me a little bit i mean I, I said that and then i immediately regret it because then i just thought about all the people working in gaming who will lose their jobs because they can get an ai to do to design a little code something and i was like okay that's a stupid thing to say so that will that that's because that's not like creating that's creative in a different way right writing code is something ai is very good at or it's not as good yet but will get very good at probably in the near future so that will yeah again even if all ai ends up doing is enables the average coder to work 75 percent faster or 82 percent more efficiently even that like reduces the number of positions needed to maintain the same level of quality of work right and you know what i mean yeah and in a weird in a weird way there's a possible and i i i hesitate because i know what I know how like companies and execs can be when it comes to just being like money grubbing and not putting their staff first sometimes. But there's a little part of me which is hopeful that maybe when it comes to things like crunch and stuff, it could alleviate some of that because that is directly related to time spent. And so maybe it could help with something like that. But I don't know, man. It's such an up in the air. It's so, it's so weird at the moment. Like, um, yeah. It's it's a weird it's a weird one for me as well because like this is a this is a bit like random but so like and I, people know I've talked about it before but like so my dad's a commercial airline pilot and and I've spoken to him for years about the fact that um like uh, planes can be flown um completely by computer like from start to finish and I've sort of said to him years and years ago it was about like twenty years I was like I sort of said do you think within the time that you're a pilot you'll see a day when uh, there'll be no people in the cockpit there'll just be a systems person like checking the machines making sure they're running all right and he was like yeah. he basically was like his opinion was no because people will not allow computers to completely take over because they won't like it and he and to be fair he's been right for 20 years i thought it would happen a lot quicker and it hasn't and and he, he you know he's still a pilot and there are still two dudes flying that or, or two women or whatever or a man or a woman flying that plane there's not just a computer sat there like um yeah so hey the, the 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 when I first set foot in a car that does not have a person sat in the driver's <laughs> seat, my arsehole will be puckered so tight for the entirety of that ride that, like it, I, it might not return to its original shape ever again. I'll just be thinking, I robot, I robot, I robot. The, the AI is going to turn on me and try and like kill me or do something horrible. Well, 
I in iRobot it wasn't even necessarily that it turned on him it was that it was saved the human who had the higher chance of survival right and he resented that no no in, so in iRobot I was thinking about when um they he's trying to find out what's going on and the AI basically turns all the robots against him and then he's oh. just like, having to fight oh, off you meant, these crazy do robots you remember, do you the reason that he's got oh, like a grudge against robots to begin with is because he was in a car crash and the oh. robot was like first of the scene and they were like the car had been crashed in the water and the robot assessed the survival chances of each right. in each of him and this young girl was it and basically said the the one i've got the higher only, if i can only save one the one i've got the higher chance of saving is will smith so it saved will smith and will smith was like fuck you you shouldn't have saved me yes that is yeah no that's i think that's a really good point because that is the difference between how an, how a computer and a like if if in if in a situation i had to save a dude in his 30s or a, or an eight-year-old girl like i'm saving the eight-year-old yep. girl exactly. if someone yeah. said to me but she's got less of a chart i'll be like i she's an eight-year-old kid man like that she's getting saved right yeah well exactly. the other one's will smith like tough if maybe if he'd have left jader i would have thought again but no or jonesy do me a favor and keep his wife's name out your fucking mouth <laughs> um well i mean I, not to put you on the spot, Mr. Jones, but we've been going for what about an hour forty-five, an hour fifty? Oh yeah, um, that blimey! Yeah, I I've, I feel like we might have a podcast on our hands here if you're happy to call it there. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was a that was a good. We went a little bit uh, off off the sidelines of the AI thing, but I think it was relevant. So yeah, yeah, I feel like. But this was a week where yes, I will concede we did uh, maybe go off piste a little bit. We're getting caught up in the intricacies of whether or not Indy's whip actually looked weird <laughs> and what the uh, the future of AI could mean for the games industry and beyond. But at least those conversations were grounded in, like I said, uh, two relatively, you know, hip-hop and happening pieces of news from around the industry this week. And um, I feel like we're not we're not going to be extending that same luxury every every episode this year. So that, make that, hay when the sun shines, right? Absolutely. Am I allowed to do something very uh, social media-y and do a poll on X about whether the whip looks weird? Is that? Do you think that's all right to? No, I, I, I will. I will absolutely sign off on that. I think you are more than within <laughs> your right to do a, 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 a poll, a whip poll. Oh, so if you're, I'll do a gif. The... I'll find a gif, a good gif of the whip, and I'll, uh, I'll put yeah, it in sure. the post and see if people think it actually looks okay. weird or if they think it looks all right. So yeah, if you so... uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, if you're listening to this or watching this at any point, actually, I don't know how. Can you choose how long a poll stays uh, stays open for? You can. You, I get you. Um, how? What, what do we give it? A handful of days, or do yeah, you want to? You want results sooner? No, I think I think a few days. Yeah, you've got to, got to give people time to have a have a look. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So if you've tuned into this podcast within the first couple of days of it hitting the internet, then head over to at Super Show Pod on Twitter. Keep an eye out for Jonesy's poll and let us know and Jonesy know whether or not you think it looks janky or whether or not you think it looks... Well, I don't know what the other options are going to be, actually. I'm not going to put words in Jonesy's mouth. He's going to think about mm. the things you will get to choose from. You'll have to find the poll yourself to see what they are. Um, I look forward to seeing the results, Jonesy just as much as I look forward to podcasting with you every week because you are such a delight. So thank you for offering your insight and expertise once again uh, on these range of topics that we've gone over in the past hour 45. Thank you, mate. Thank you for hosting. And as you requested before we went live, I will bring over my leather chaps and my bullwhip and we will have a, a good old... Hey, wow. That was it wasn't meant to be... Uh, we, I will talk after this. Um, thank you all so much for watching... 
uh, and or listening, whether you are with us on YouTube, whether you're watching us live right now and you're in, still in the chat, in which case, hello and I guess also goodbye, um, or whether you're listening on a podcasting platform, whether you're listening the week that all this news happened, or whether you're listening years in the future. I can see you there in 2029. I know who you are. I don't know why you're still listening to this, but you are, and we thank you. Um, and hopefully we will see you here same place, same time next week for more gaming goodness. But for now, we'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. See ya. <laughs>